Sunday, October 8th, 2023. I'm Jessica Rosenthal. Capitol Hill had a first this week. A historic vote has left us without a Speaker of the House. There should be a vote this week on some new names. But will there be consensus in a fractured Republican conference? We are in uncharted territory here. Nobody really knows what the authority is because we've never been here before. I'm Ryan Schmelz. Political shakeup or Election Day spoiler? Calls for third-party candidates to get into the presidential race are becoming louder. It's really tough to take out an incumbent president. So I think Democrats are interested in in maintaining that two-headed race. Uh, And I think when you introduce new variables, you know, I think it is likely to hurt uh, Joe Biden. This is the Fox News Rundown from Washington. The historic pushing out of the House Speaker meant Kevin McCarthy's speech after the fact was also historic. So I may have lost a vote today, but as I walk out of this chamber, I feel fortunate to have served the American people. I leave the speakership with a sense of pride, accomplishment, and yes, optimism. But he said the rule change that allowed him to so easily lose his position was probably not a good idea. You can't do the job if eight people... You have 94 percent of or 96 percent of your entire conference, but eight people can partner with the whole other side. How do you govern? The eight congressmen were led by Florida Congressman Matt Gates, who, like the others, accused McCarthy of breaking his promises. We heard the president come out and say there was a deal with the speaker on Ukraine and the speaker just stood up in front of all of us and said that there's no deal on Ukraine. Uh, The House Democrats say there's a deal on Ukraine, so uh, we're going to have to sort that out. We're going to have to sort out who's lying. Some of his own colleagues derided Gates over this. One called him an agent of chaos. I don't think voting against Kevin McCarthy is chaos. I think 33 trillion in debt is chaos. McCarthy said it was personal over investigations into Gates. Gates denied that. Congressman Tim Burchett was one of the eight who voted against McCarthy and told the Fox News Rundown podcast. I said, do I want to keep my friend Kevin McCarthy or do I need to vote my conscience? And I prayed about it and I I followed my conscience. And I think that was the right decision. We are $33 trillion in debt. We added a trillion dollars in three months this year. And pretty quickly, some outspoken Republicans in leadership positions said they would run for the speaker's position, including House Majority Leader Steve Scalise and Judiciary Committee Chairman Jim Jordan, who told Fox and Friends this week. Steve Scalise is a friend of mine. It's Kevin and Steve and I. We all came in the same Congress. Uh, Steve's an American hero. But again, I think I'm better, better equipped to unite the conference, bring the conservatives along that I'm close to with the moderates. Now, it took quite some time and a lot of negotiation with the slim Republican majority before McCarthy even became speaker. And part of the deal to make him speaker was changing a rule so all it would take was just one person to force a vote on vacating the speaker from his role. We kind of knew that this was coming. At least I did. Fox's chief congressional correspondent, Chad Pergram. I I often talk about having a crystal ball here with a pretty Mm -hmm. good Tesla coil on it. And I saw that at some point this was probably going to be the be the case. There was going to be a a vote to vacate the chair, an effort to try to overthrow Kevin McCarthy. Uh, I asked him at the press conference after he uh, was ousted from the speakership the other day if he saw the writing on the wall. It was a fait accompli. And I'll give you a couple of data points here why it seemed to me that it was always going in that direction. There's a reason why Kevin McCarthy did not become Speaker of the House in 2015. Remember, John Boehner was the speaker. Mm -hmm. He retired. 
and there just weren't the votes there for Kevin McCarthy. He withdrew. There's a reason why it took him when, you know, they were supposed to have a 40, 50, 60 seat majority, frankly, Jessica, uh, that never materialized. It's four, four seats. <laughs> a lot of people thought, well, this is going to be a, a real challenge for Kevin McCarthy. It was unclear back in January if he would actually get the speakership. He finally did on the 15th uh, round, <laughs> uh, longest speakership, uh, speaker election since, uh, you know, 1859. And so I'm going to take you back to that 2015 reference point. There is a member, a lawmaker up here who I ran into, who was pretty close with Kevin McCarthy and really has their hand on the pulse. And I asked that member at that point, I said, do you think McCarthy gets there? And they said, I think he will, but he will not be in the job very long. Well, that's prophetic eight years later. And here we are. Wow. Yeah. You were sharing some of these anecdotes on air, too, as all this was breaking. I loved the one about the challenge to Joe Cannon's speakership in 1910, but notably he survived that challenge. Um, but but now that, Chad, that now there's a bit of distance from the moment on Tuesday, what has stuck with you about it all? I think the most interesting thing, and I see this time and time again here on Capitol Hill, is that when we have these historic moments is that nobody quite knows what to do. There's a playbook for things. And here on Capitol Hill, I saw this in 2008 after we had the financial collapse and they put a bill on the floor to try to, uh, you know, salvage, uh, you know, the government TARP, the Troubled Assets Relief Program. It failed the first time. And the market fell in synchronicity uh, with the vote losing on the House floor. And everybody in the Capitol had no idea what to do. Uh, there have been times where we've been up against a government shutdown and nobody quite knew what was next. And it's just the idea that there's this pandemonium in the hole, mm. uh, people running all over, tons of press, and nobody knows what's next. We saw this when uh, John Boehner had stepped away in 2015. We saw it when Kevin McCarthy announced uh, just a couple of weeks later that he would not stand for speaker, where you have these moments of paralysis and nobody quite knows because for the most part, they are unprecedented and they are making history. And this was, in fact, making history. And that's the thing that I always notice is there's just this level of uncertainty. And, you know, the usual people you would call to ask questions, they don't have the answers. <laughs> that's the amazing thing. You had the answers, though. The, so, Chad, the accusations from the eight Congress members was that Kevin McCarthy broke promises. Nancy May said for her it pertained to, like, balanced budget amendments to um, women's issues related bills, gun violence. But, but what all promises was he accused of making, of breaking? Well, there was this suggestion by Matt Gates that there was a secret deal that the speaker had made with the president to fund Ukraine. The president has kind of alluded to that a little bit here. And everybody thought that there would eventually be a bill, and there may still be, a, a bill that got more than 300 votes in the House to, to deal with Ukraine and, and probably a bill that would get, you know, 65 to maybe 75 votes in the Senate to, to deal with Ukraine. That was that was the one accusation that was made. Nancy Mace, uh, you know, there have been different times where she has been pretty inconsistent on various bills. And I mean, like a host of bills where she's come out and said, I can't vote for this bill. I can't do it. And then she's turned around and voted for it a few minutes later or come out and talked about bragged about the uh, concessions that she had extracted from the uh, from the speaker. And so a lot of people wonder where Nancy Mace is really coming from. And, and Kevin McCarthy, he pulled no punches. In that press conference after he was deposed as Speaker of the House, uh, somebody asked him about this and he said, well, Nancy Mace, he said, that's another case altogether. I mean, it looks like there's no mm -hmm. love lost between the Speaker and Nancy Mace and some of these other members here. 
And again, you don't really know. You know, the only thing you know is what different people have told you. You know, Nancy Mace has been inconsistent, as I said. So did she really extract the extract these concessions at different points this year from Kevin McCarthy? Uh, unless they're written on a stone tablet or in blood somewhere, I don't know. Um, but those are the those are the things. But again, I think overall, you know, you talk to someone like Eli Crane, the Republican representative, the freshman from Arizona, and he says, well, we weren't doing the, the spending bills individually. Well, ironically, the commitment from Kevin McCarthy, now maybe this was a little bit late to the table, was that they were working through methodically these individual spending bills. And now, guess what? If they have a six-week deadline to fund the government by the middle of November, they can't work through these bills individually. I mean, this is where some people oh. think that, uh, you know, they've really shot themselves in the foot, if that's what they're for. And there are, there, I tell you, the level of infighting inside the House Republican Conference right now, Jessica, is extraordinary. Because mm -hmm. they're like, you know, guys, we were working on this, and you political arsonists came along. Because, it, and McCarthy had alluded to this in the, in the coming days here as well is that he said, I don't think some of these people are really about legislating. They, yeah, they aren't, Chad, they aren't this, for was, anything. Chad, was this personal? I know this is gossipy, but like mm -hmm. people are saying that for Matt Gates, this was personal, that he was going was after personal. McCarthy. Oh, okay. It was. Well, Absolutely. Why? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Because he thought that Kevin McCarthy was behind this ethics investigation. The ethics committee has this inquiry. And again, Kevin McCarthy was very revealing in that press conference where he said, I've seen the texts. I see what mm. the problem is here, the text messages, the allegations of what, about what Matt Gates was doing off to the side. Uh, Matt Gates does not seem to have the same level of enmity with Steve Scalise or with, um, uh, you know, others Jim who Jordan. might run here, certainly Jim Jordan, et cetera. But there was something going on there with Kevin McCarthy, for sure. What, Chad, what does this all mean, right? We've got a speaker pro tem, Patrick McHenry of North Carolina, but what, what sort of house business can technically be conducted. Arizona Congressman Andy Biggs told Harris Faulkner this week, hey, I'm here. Let's let's work. Yeah, they can't really do anything right now. Here's why. <laughs> the speaker pro tem was put in, and this is a byproduct of 9-11, the idea that you needed to have continuity of government. So, and I reported this on Tuesday, that if they vacated the speakership, there's a secret list of members that uh, the clerk had in a safe here at the Capitol that they would get out. And th there's a line, and McHenry was at the top of the list as to be the uh, speaker pro tem. We've never had oh. that. And, and if you look in, in the House rules, um, rule one, clause eight, refers to the authority of the speakership. And so the Congress has started. So unlike on January 3rd, 4th, 5th, 6th, you know, until they elected the speaker back in January, there were no committees. Members were not sworn in. So they can continue to operate, although some people wonder to what degree how effective they're going to be when all focus is on, you know, trying to get a speaker, number one. But the first order of business by rule is that you have to have a speaker, period, okay. end of story. So that's why the first order of business, we're not going to have a vote on speaker until next Wednesday. They're conducting no business. And this is why there's been some people say, yeah, he could actually maybe move a bill here or something like that. A, if you did that. It would be subject to a point of order on the floor, which would probably prevail because you'd have a lot of Republicans and, and, and Democrats uh, say, you know, you can't do this. And number two, then you would probably have, and I said this to somebody this morning, uh, probably a motion to vacate the chair for the speaker pro temp. You uh. really, I mean, I mean, seriously, I mean, I mean, you know, we are in uncharted territory here. Nobody really knows what the authority is because we've never been here before. But generally it is understood that uh, Patrick McHenry 
has very little power. Just a couple more for you. I, I was reading, my producer sent me this. Congressman Burchett said that people, he, and he was one of the eight, right? He said people are angrier on camera, or he agreed with the assessment that people are angrier on camera than they really are behind closed doors. And that when they start reading their emails from their constituents, they're thinking, hey, maybe I should have been with the eight who pushed McCarthy out. Does that, you, you hear that on the one hand, and then you hear from others who say, well, wait a second, you know, the GOP was starting to have some success in the polls. Americans were starting to believe that maybe they could handle inflation better. Which is it? Well, there's always a lag in the polls. Uh, members are always going to hear from the most vocal and most active people. And, you know, you have, have to take that with a grain of salt sometimes because, you know, if you're just hearing from the people that are upset, you know, you don't want to cast a vote or make a decision that's not reflected in the votes of your district. And so that's a risk. Uh, there is a tenor in the public, and there's been some things written about this in the past few days here, that there's just this angry core of people in the Republican Party that don't want to do anything. Uh, they don't like Mitch McConnell. They don't like Kevin McCarthy. Uh, who knows how long they would like Steve Scalise, Jim Jordan, uh, you, know, uh, you know, Kevin Hearn, whoever becomes speaker, you know, that's gonna, that, because that person, you know, they're going to go after them. It was easy. It's easy when you're fighting the Democrats. Oh, President Obama, President Biden, that Nancy Pelosi. Nancy Pelosi has not been the speaker since January. And I still and the Republicans are still on this talking point about all oh, this, that Kevin McCarthy lost the speakership because of Nancy Pelosi. Yeah. But, Chad, how do you think that plays to I mean, it I guess we'll find out. It plays in their districts because because those are the, the people they're against. It absolutely does play in that. But I'll tell you what doesn't play. Is that you have chaos here in Congress. You had chaos on January 3rd electing the speaker. You had chaos on January 6th of the highest order a couple of years ago. You've had chaos where the speaker, McCarthy, has been unable to put his defense bill on the floor for weeks until they finally got a, a deal. They had a little bit of chaos with the debt ceiling, a lot of bit of chaos, almost funding the government. Now there's no speaker for the first time in history. People who are these moderate, uh, you know, centrists, sometimes they're Democrats, sometimes they're Republicans, sometimes yeah. they're unaffiliated, mostly in suburban districts, often women, this does not play with them. And this is a byproduct of Trumpism, that chaos. And this is where some Republicans have talked about we should elect President Trump, the Speaker of the House. Well, that's not going to, and which is possible because you don't have to be a member to be Speaker of the House. Uh, it's probably not going to happen. But the idea that that certainly does not bring order to the House of Representatives. And that's where some people think maybe the Speaker's race actually goes pretty quickly. That's one theory. Mm. One theory next week is that they need to restore order here. Yeah, so uh, talk to TSF then finally, Chad, for that, because we're looking at a, another interesting week. It could be contentious. What, what do we expect from this forum and then a vote? We only, I mean, we'll see how many people, you know, run for, for the speakership. But we've already talked about uh, Mr. Scalise and Mr. Jordan. Um, I guess, what are your uh, early predictions? Well, th the chances are, that this goes multiple rounds, and we probably don't have a result on Wednesday. Uh, it probably takes, uh, you know, a few more rounds. There is a theory that it takes a lot of rounds because you always hear me, Jessica, talk about the math, that you can't get the physics of this thing right, even if you have a lot of Republicans who finally coalesce around a, a candidate, Scalise, Jordan, somebody else, you can't get over that hump because the rule is you need an outright majority of the entire House voting for a member, voting for someone by name. 
So if somebody's voting present or not voting there, this is where there's an algebraic equation. It's very hard to understand what the actual total needed is. So that's a challenge. So that's kind of where they are. Uh, right. You have to, to get to that number. And, and that could take a while. But again, the argument is that maybe they can coalesce around a member pretty quickly. And these members, the Jordans and the Scalises, they will know pretty quickly if they're going to have the votes. Um, you know, I will say the person that seems because they, he doesn't have as many barnacles on him because he's not been in leadership and not been as controversial as, as Jim Jordan and, and, and Scalise and some others is Patrick McHenry, hmm. um, who is the speaker pro tem right now. There's a reason why he was at the top of that list. He is generally well liked on both sides of the aisle, respected at least, certainly in the Republican conference. Um, and I thought it was always interesting, you know, you, you know this is where I, I, I said, this is a lot like being a Sovietologist. You know, when I was in school, I studied the Soviet Union. That was my area of study at Miami University of Ohio. And we, they always talked about during the May Day Parade, they would come out and you wanted to look at who was next to the general secretary when they'd have the big parade down, you know, the Grand Boulevard in Moscow there. So during the debt ceiling negotiations, look at who kept coming out and was part of the, the talks there with uh, the Speaker of the House, Kevin McCarthy, Patrick McHenry. Mm. Look who was by his side. You always, yeah, Garrett, you always look around. That's true. Right. That's true. Garrett Graves, the Republican from Louisiana, mind you, not mm -hmm. the other congressman from Louisiana, the majority leader, Steve Scalise. So yeah. that tells you a lot right there, you know, looking who's next to who at the May Day Parade. So, uh, you know, I think that there might be something... Uh, uh, to be said for this Patrick McHenry stuff, if it's pretty clear after a few ballots that Scalise or Jordan can't get it done. Well, and that leads me actually, Chad, to one final question, if I may, um, because Patrick McHenry is the finance guy, right? He, mm -hmm. <laughs> you like the math. He likes the, the money. Yes. Um, and, you know, Gates said, I'm not chaos. Chaos is $33 trillion in debt. China's dumping our treasuries, as are our other biggest debt holders, Saudi Arabia as well. It does feel a, a bit ominous, right? That, that growing number of, of debt. I think we're, we're paying more than $800 billion just on interest on the debt. Right. Has, is anybody and, and you know talking about, you know is dirty, talking you know the, about that? You know what's the dirty secret in this whole thing? And, and this is where, frankly, some of these members uh, on the Republican side have been very disingenuous with their voters. They have talked about, as they tried to fund the government, we need to have cuts. Okay, fine. That's going to make a little bit of difference. They are talking about cutting less than the, the, the pie that they're looking at cutting, what they call discretionary spending here, Jessica, is 30% or less of all federal spending. Right. And half of that goes to the military. And then you add Veterans Affairs and DHS, and you're up to only about, so you, you, you cut the 30 and half, so you're down to 15%. Now you're up to about 11%. You cannot make the cuts to balance the budget, bring down the debt, whatever it is you want to do on 11% of federal spending. There's not enough money to cut there unless you cut it all, which is never going to happen. So what do what you they do? Look at mandatory? <laughs> right. Mandatory. Medicare, Medicaid, Social Security, 70% of all federal spending. And so it's almost like they're fighting the wrong fight. But why do they not talk about that? Because that is radioactive. I'm going to cut my benefits. And they don't talk about that because it's easier. And it, and, and it just took me a minute and a half to explain that because that doesn't work in a nice soundbite. It's not a nice soundbite on the news, an ad. It's complicated. Well, it's not complicated to say that Medicare and Social, Social Security are going insolvent in the next 
decade or right. so, depending on where you where you look at which pot of money. So uh, at right. some point, we're going to have to have that that conversation. Maybe this is the beginning of it. Chief Congressional Correspondent Chad Pergram, thank you for joining. My pleasure. Shipping can make or break a sale, so optimize how you ship your orders with ShipStation. They make it easy to automate and manage orders no matter how big your business grows. And they might even be able to help reduce shipping and warehouse costs. So optimize and keep up your momentum for growth with ShipStation. Sign up for your free 60-day trial now at ShipStation.com and use the code P-O-D. That's ShipStation.com with the code P-O-D. March 3rd, 1853. That was the last full day that a president of the United States did not have an R or a D next to their name. Millard Fillmore left office the next day as the final Whig Party member to hold the presidency, and it's been all Republicans and Democrats ever since, though it hasn't been for a lack of trying. Former President Teddy Roosevelt gave it a go in 1912 when he led his Bull Moose Party in a third-party run at Republican President Taft in splitting the Republican vote in two and handing the election to Democrat Woodrow Wilson. Segregationist George Wallace picked up five states and 46 electoral votes in 1968, coming in a distant third to Democrat Hubert Humphrey and eventual winner Republican Richard Nixon. Notably, in 1992, businessman Ross Perot picked up nearly 20 million votes, 19 percent of the electorate. President George H.W. Bush accused Perot of handing the election to Democrat Bill Clinton. And most recently in 2000, Green Party activist Ralph Nader picked up 97,000 votes, a lot of them out of Democrat Al Gore's column in Florida. Republican George W. Bush's victory in the state won him the presidency. Those are only some examples of a credible third-party run impacting the final vote tally as this cycle's attention turns to Robert F. Kennedy Jr., a lifelong Democrat who's angered his own party over his politics and decision to challenge President Biden. In addition, the No Labels campaign is laying the groundwork to get voters to consider a unity ticket where former Maryland Republican Governor Larry Hogan and West Virginia Democratic Senator Joe Manchin are considered possible nominees, with polls showing Americans aren't thrilled about either the Republican or Democrat frontrunner, can a third-party candidate actually make an impact, or will this move just play a spoiler in the election? Well, I can certainly see people running for the third uh, on a third-party line, and we've seen that throughout history. Kevin Walling was heavily involved in the founding of No Labels and was also a surrogate for President Biden. But of course, those people that have run, George Wallace, Ross Perot, Others have been spoilers uh, when it comes to actually, you know, damaging uh, one of the front runner candidates, whether it be a Democrat or Republican. And we have examples of that on both sides of the aisle. Um, so, you know, I, I think, you know, the more that no labels is out there, the more that, you know, Robert Kennedy is teasing this third party announcement, the more that, I, you know, I focus just that they're going to be spoilers. And when we talk about who they could be spoilers for, let's start with Kennedy. Do you think he can make a big enough dent to either hurt Joe Biden or Donald Trump. I mean, the interesting thing with with Bobby Kennedy Jr. is early on, you know, he was kind of trumpeted by the the Trump folks, right? And as a legitimate primary challenge to Joe Biden, thinking that they could, you know, hurt the incumbent president. But if you look at the you know the base of support behind Robert Kennedy, he he pulls more from seemingly from you know Trump's base, you know, whether it be the anti-vaccine folks, the the things like that. Um, so you know, he's got a thirty percent approval rate. 
uh, among Republicans in terms of that net approval. He's got a 43% disapproval rate among Democrats. So in terms of who he's going to pull for, it most likely looks like he could pull from, from Donald Trump's base. And, and what's interesting with him, too, is, you know, is this another situation? And we saw the polling, you know, polling close to 20%. But then again, we also saw Gary Johnson pulling close to, I believe, near nearing that 15% threshold when he was when we, when we saw Trump and Clinton running against each other but is it could this just be one of those things where he gets in early gets a lot of noise there but then closer we get to election day those numbers just start to sink 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 to the point where he doesn't even register one percent on election day yeah it's a good question and and of course you know he saw some semblance of relevancy when he first announced in january pulling at you know his ceiling is about 15 percent or so i think he's making this uh decision because i think he looks at the polling to your question and realizes again he's he's less and less popular with the democratic base and in order for him and his ego i think to stay relevant for the next uh you know 12 months leading into the election he needs to pivot to become a, you know, a general election candidate. I know he's flirting with, you know, running with the libertarians and stuff like that that have actual ballot access in most of the states. Um, so I think it's just a play for relevance at this point with uh, with Bobby Kennedy Jr. Yeah, and, and the libertarians have to accept him too because while he might That's be true. popular in terms of his stances on on vaccines and in the medical industry. Probably not going to align with him fiscally on most issues. Well, and again, and the libertarians are an interesting group. You know, one of my best buddies on Fox is Kennedy, right? I mean, these are diehard folks that have serious agendas, and I don't think they really like someone coming in last minute and using them as a vehicle for ballot access rather than someone that has been consistent in terms of, to your point, you know, fiscal policy with libertarians, kind of a uh, get government out of everything in terms of privacy rights and, and, and things like that. And we haven't seen that level of, of policy engagement from Kennedy just yet and so I think the one that's really created this spoiler mantra is the no labels campaign and what they've been pushing for we don't know who their candidates gonna be Larry Hogan has said I believe they're waiting till after Super Tuesday to announce is that too late well, I, I don't know if it's too late. You know, I, I actually helped found the organization back in 2020, 2021. I helped launch No Labels uh, as its first national field director. Um, and back then, you know, they had a, a focus on elevating, you know, bipartisanship and kind of stayed out of elections. And now they're coming to the point and they've, you know, processed multiple times that they don't want to be a spoiler. Uh, if it's a, a Joe Biden, Donald Trump matchup, which seemingly it looks like it's going to be. Um, and, uh, you know, again, I, I think it'll all determine how many states. I think they're now in 10, 15 states in terms of ballot access. Um, they've got a ways to go on that front. But there's also questions about who's funding them, right? This $70 million campaign to, to get that ballot access. We don't know what the candidates are promising in order to get that no labels uh, ballot line. So uh, I think there's a lot more questions in, in terms of the impact of no labels at this point. And, and and what was your experience with no labels in terms of you know what they're pushing for and 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 kind of what their strategy is to be to getting on the ballot if that's even possible? Yeah, I mean, no, no labels was founded back in twenty twenty, uh, sorry, twenty ten rather, in the wake of the Tea Party movement, right, where you had you know legitimate traditional Republicans for the most part being you know challenged by the right and being taken out, and uh, you know a guy like Bob Inglis from South Carolina, for example, was at the founding of No Labels. He was taken out uh, by a right wing challenge, and the idea was okay, let's give some oxygen, let's give some support to those folks that are earnestly working across party lines to advance bipartisan bills and to kind of push back against the extremes. Now, you know, fast forward a decade later, they're, you know, they're tiptoeing into this presidential race. Uh, and, and again, they're taking on a guy potentially in Joe Biden who 
by all accounts, has been one of the most bipartisan presidents in recent memory, just in terms of actual major legislation that's been passed um, and the extent that he's been successful on that front, you know, whether it be gun legislation, whether it be chips and science, whether it be infrastructure. Um, so you have a, a, a situation where you actually have a pretty strong kind of bona fide uh, candidate with bipartisan credentials that's running, and I don't see, you know, he should be the no-labels candidate. <laughs> Joe Biden, the new labels candidate? He should be. I mean, if you look at his record in the Senate, you know, uh, as vice president negotiating deals with Mitch McConnell, he's kind of dispatched by President Obama to do that. You've already got a no labels candidate in, in Joe Biden. I don't know why you don't just get right behind him. But I mean, the reality is they're not buying it because obviously Larry Hogan was a Republican, so he might not be a, a big fan of President Biden. But then even the fact that Joe Manchin is flirting with this, this presidential run and no labels might be targeting him, you know. It, if that were to happen, you know, you've got potentially Joe Manchin, obviously a Democrat, but one who can align with the Republicans on a lot of issues. You have Larry Hogan, obviously a moderate governor. Is it going to depend on who they choose if they choose somebody or is there something else at play here? I, I think what's at play here is a group of folks that want to stay relevant. Right. Um, I mean, whether it be John Huntsman, who has been around that, whether it be Joe Lieberman, others, they, they kind of the, you know, for all lack of a better term, kind of the land of misfit toys. God love them. You know, that that still want some semblance of relevancy, relevancy. We still want to be on C-SPAN and stuff like that. The Joe Manchin's the, you know, who's super relevant, right, in terms of his position in the Senate. But the other folks around, you know, Pat McCrory, you know, one term governor in North Carolina is involved with this. Joe Cunningham, who lost the governor's race in South Carolina. So this is seemingly no labels has been con has become the home of these people that have nowhere else to go that seemingly, you know, still want to stay relevant in public discourse. Um, and we'll see, you know, who, you know, if they go through that process. They've said that they don't want to be a spoiler, right? They don't want to hand the election to Donald Trump, even though he was at one of their big events in, in New Hampshire back in 2016. And a lot of the donors behind this effort are Trump supporters. Um, but we'll see how the process plays out. But is, 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 it, is it true that he, he plays spoiler, they play spoiler most likely to President Biden or could that just be the narrative is being pushed and they could actually really get into Trump's base and cut into his vote count? And this that might actually be something that benefits Joe Biden. Or is it what the narrative is and that this is a spoiler to Joe Biden? Yeah, it's a good question. I mean, I think, you know, Democrats strategically are, are itching for a rematch between President Biden and, and former President Trump just because of the, the short history. Three years ago, they defeated that ticket. It's really tough to take out an incumbent president. So I think Democrats are interested in, in maintaining that two-headed race. Uh, and I think when you introduce new variables, you know, I think it is likely to hurt uh, Joe Biden, right? You have, you know, you look at Joe Biden's base, college educated, you know, working class for the most part, women. Uh, and you offer, you know, an alternative like Larry Hogan. I think Larry Hogan appeals more to some of those folks in, in the president's base more than Donald Trump, you know, just in terms of, you know, the, 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 the folks without a college degree, the folks that are, you know, more kind of conspiracy theory minded, his kind of raw base of support that are really strong behind him. They're not going to drift from the former president. But again, folks that are, you know, really interested in this race, educating about their race, this race might, you know, pull from Joe Biden. And and if they do get in, what kind of polling do you think they could actually get? And, and realistically, what kind of number could they shoot for, you know, in terms of how much of the general election number they could they could cut into? Yeah, it's a good question. I mean, you, you know, we, we looked to recent memory with Ross Perot. He pulled in uh, about 18 percent, 20 percent. Uh, in terms of the uh, nationwide vote, uh, in terms of the popular vote, got zero electoral college votes, right? And really cost incumbent President George H.W. Bush that election. 
you know, to the day George H.W. Uh, Bush 41 died, I think Ross Perot, who's, a, you know, uh, George Bush was the sweetest guy, uh, to the only guy that he went to his deathbed still hating was Ross Perot because of what he did in that election. And, you know, the last time a third-party candidate won any kind of electoral co- college votes was 60 years ago with George Wallace. And he was a spoiler in that race as well. You look back at Teddy Roosevelt, right? Former president running, you know, against uh, Taft and against Woodrow Wilson. Through the election of Woodrow Wilson, the Democrat, because he pulled from Taft's base. So, I mean, we have a long history of uh, third-party candidates uh, not being necessarily relevant in terms of the presidency. But, again, to, to your question, really pulling from one of the two elected folks. And I think that's the real fear among Democrats, that there, there could be that pull against uh, Joe Biden. Well, and I think the one we're forgetting about is Evan McMullen, when he ran for president back yeah. in 2016... Most states, he didn't make a major impact, but in his home state of Utah, of Utah, exactly he, he right, did have some strong numbers there. But the reality is, Utah was still a strong red state, so former President Trump was probably still going to win by a lance, or, or at least he wasn't really going to cut into Hillary Clinton's vote. One hundred percent, yeah. But what if somebody like that were in the race in maybe more of a swing state like Ohio, Florida, and they appealed in a state like that? Could that be something where maybe they hit a couple delegates and that's enough to, or not not delegates, enough electoral college numbers, and that might actually make an impact? Well, you're, to your question, I think the the real big fear and the real constitutional question at play is what happens if that third party uh, individual, that ticket, pulls enough electoral college votes for no uh, candidate gets to 270, right? Oh. Uh, something that we haven't seen in a very, very long time. It gets thrown to the House of Representatives and, and the Senate in terms of uh, them uh, voting as one uh, state delegation. And that's the big fear, too, is, you know, then it really calls into question the legitimacy of the presidency. You know, Republicans, uh, you know, over the last 40 years have only won the popular vote since 1988, one time in 2004. So you have Hillary Clinton, who lost Electoral College, but won more, three million more votes. Joe Biden, you know, 100,000 votes in three other states. And despite winning seven million plus more votes than uh, Donald Trump, Donald Trump could have won reelection in 2020. So then it becomes a question, OK, if you've got, you know, someone that's won 10 12, 13 million more votes than the other candidate, but no one gets to 270, and the House of Representatives and the Senate, as a joint delegation, decide, then what, you know, you know, you look at the will of the people not being reflected in who actually takes the oath of office, that becomes a huge constitutional question for this country. So you're telling me that you just made this very newsy relevant because we have a Speaker of the House race where they very well could be deciding on the person who is going to be overseeing potentially choosing the next president if no labels were to get in and pull enough away from the Electoral College that no one gets to 270. Exactly right. And, you know, the Senate uh, passed uh, and, and worked really hard to pass a, reforms to electoral, the, the Electoral Count Act, um, and that will be at play. But, you know, to your point, I mean, that's going to be the House is going to be run by whoever's the next speaker with a four vote majority for the, the Republicans. Um, and the Senate will be run by the vice president, Kamala Harris. Of course, we saw that dynamic play out on January 6th with Mike Pence. But it could be a huge issue, especially when it comes to, uh, again, the question of legitimacy of who this person is that becomes the next president if the, the House and the Senate have to decide. As we kind of get up a little bit on time here, I'm curious, you know, as somebody who was a founding member of No Labels or worked to found the organization, what do you think it's going to take for a third party candidate to actually be competitive in a presidential election? Is it even possible at this point? 
Again, you know, I go back to, it's a great question. I go back to Ross Perot, who had more money than, than God, right? And was a cult of personality. He was a, he was quite a character. And the fact that he wasn't able to get any electoral college votes, but get 20% of the, the, uh, the popular vote, I think speaks volumes uh, to the effectiveness of a third-party uh, race. Again, you know, people talk about, as you, as you point out, Larry Hogan, uh, Joe Manchin, others. These are not really, I mean, I, love, I, I like them both a great deal, but they're not super inspirational. They're not big characters. They don't have more money than God at play here. Um, so, again, it, and you go back to Teddy Roosevelt, who wasn't able to take back the presidency after, you know, uh, seven years in office uh, previously. It is really, really hard for a third party to, to win the presidency. No labels is on this fool's errand. And again, the worst outcome could be really calling into question the legitimacy of the next presidency. And what was the last time we had three contenders for the president at one time that, that were all three were legitimate? Was it Jackson, Quincy Adams, and Henry Clay? Or do we have any other examples like that? Uh, I mean, you'd have to go back quite a bit. I mean, I think the, t- the Teddy Taft uh, and, and Woodrow Wilson example is probably, you know, uh, more, more recent. Again, you had George Wallace running in, uh, uh, in the 1950s. I think he pulled about 50 or so electoral votes in a three-way race. Um, but it hasn't happened in a long time. Of course, again, you know, you go back to Ralph Nader in 2000. Uh, you mentioned Gary Johnson in, in uh, 2016. You know, just 2% of Americans voted in 2020 for a third-party candidate could be a lot different come uh, come 2024 all right and what are we watching for uh over the next couple of months when it comes to either no labels or any any other contender that could be a third party quote-unquote spoiler well, certainly, uh, all eyes are going to be on Robert Kennedy Jr. early October. He's uh, kind of teased uh, this announcement uh, that he's running as a third-party uh, candidate. We'll see if he aligns with the Libertarians, if they accept him. But certainly following the, the cause of no labels uh, and their efforts to get on the ballot in some of these uh, states. And again, part of the question, too, is, okay, if no labels only gets on 30 states, right, uh, and they still you know, potentially run, uh, then they'll definitely be a spoiler. So, you know, I think, you know, if their effort is to get on all 50, that's certainly complicated. um, And uh, that's certainly something to watch in the next couple of months. Is there a deadline for that? Well, it's rolling deadlines for the different states and stuff like that. Of course, they have said publicly, you know, that I I think they'll make a decision by Super Tuesday. You talked about that with Larry Hogan talking about that kind of decision uh, timeline. Uh, So again, we'll see. Awesome. Kevin Walling, great to have you on as always. Thanks, Ryan. Good to be with you. That'll do it for this edition of the Fox News Rundown from Washington podcast. Coming up this week, Congress meets to elect a new Speaker of the House, but who will it be? And with a government shutdown looming next month, can lawmakers get the job done and get back to business? I'm Ryan Schmelz. Thank you for listening to the Fox News Rundown from Washington. Stay up to date by subscribing to this podcast at foxnewspodcasts.com. Listen ad-free on Fox News Podcasts Plus on Apple Podcasts. And Prime members can listen to the show ad-free on Amazon Music. And for up-to-the-minute news, go to foxnews.com.